Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob. I'm reading today from the Crossing Borders 2017 Annual Report. Seems kind of strange to be having a 2017 report here in July of 2018, but nevertheless, it did just come out, and I want to get it to you as much as I can. There is a story that runs, runs through this whole book, and it is actually a booklet of 30-some pages, uh, but there's a story in it about a, a person we're going to call Lois. You know that when we do North Korean names, we never give the entire, um, the, the true name. But Crossing Borders is a local, that is to us Chicago people, a local ministry that is touching um, portions of northeastern China that are receiving North Korean refugees. So we, uh, we, we love the North Koreans because uh, of the suffering that they're going through, but it's not just in the country that they suffer, but they suffer when they come out in China. Even when they get to South Korea, there is a certain amount of trauma and difficulty that they have to deal with there. But uh, let me read Lois's story. Uh, it's just one story that they wanted to give to you, and they've... Uh, weaved it, woven it, woven it uh, throughout the book, several pages here and there. Let me, let me begin at least today. 2017, eight crossing borders volunteers stayed at a small motel in southeast China for four sweltering days. It was a square building in a rural town with about a dozen rooms, baking quietly in the heat. Unbeknownst to the casual passers-by, crossing borders had reserved the entirety of this modest space months in advance. It was in this unremarkable building that we held a retreat with 17 North Korean refugee women and 15 of their children. Our North Korean refugee women pressed close together in a single room sitting side by side uh, on three wooden beds pushed together. Eagerly chatting with one another, they did not seem to mind being gathered in such a crowded space. Alongside them in this cramped room for each of the four days of the retreat were our female volunteers, who shared conversations and snacks, organized crafts and games, they also guided the refugee women in reading the Bible, prayed for their lives and safety, and sang songs with them until their voices echoed in the hallways of the small motel. That was the prologue. We now, know, now go to uh, chapter one. It's called Isolation. North Korean refugees often feel the constraints of geography in addition to those of language. Traveling to meet another North Korean refugee or even a Korean-speaking Chinese citizen is near impossible for a North Korean refugee in China. Identification is required to travel long distances and to wander far from the little protection that their families provide is treacherous. Some of the refugee women who attended our summer retreat took several buses to arrive at the distant motel within their own province. 
looking over their shoulder the entire time, knowing that if a single officer of the law had asked them for papers with their name or hometown, they could be immediately arrested and deported to a North Korean prison camp. Due to their extreme isolation, there is no one with whom North Korean refugees can share their stories. Avenues and channels of community simply do not exist. Their lives are guarded by high walls of daily secrecy, deep trenches of cultural estrangement, and constant suspicions of imminent danger. There is no way to share the fear of crossing the border in the dead of night, living as an illegal immigrant, the painful scars from being trafficked or abused, the longing for home, not to mention the trauma they experienced in North Korea. For most refugees, there is no one with whom to share these experiences. Albeit, if a refugee could tell their story, who would comprehend the suffering, the strife? Who could possibly understand the pain of surviving a famine that killed between one to three million people of watching daughters being sold in a foreign country, of fleeing from their own people. Truly devastating for some of the women in our network is the absence of an ear into which they can even share their joys, stories of perseverance or survival, of hope and love, of memories left of families now far away. Chapter 2. Escape. One of the women in the motel room at our summer retreat was Lois. Our staff first met Lois in the spring of 2017, only a few months prior to the beginning of our summer retreat. When we met Lois in the spring, she had recently begun to discuss Christianity and its beliefs with our Korean-Chinese pastor in China, meeting with him once or twice a month to learn about a God she had never heard of before and to discuss the life of Jesus. The deification and worship of the eternal leader Kim Il-sung, as well as the authority of Kim Jong-il and Kim Jong-un, is the primary religion in North Korea. After having left this political mythology, it was Lois's first encounter with a Christian believer. Lois had not yet been introduced to the other women in a local town, uh, refugees like herself, who met together on Sundays to read the Bible, pray, and sing songs of praise to Jesus. Having only met our pastor recently, Lois had started to read through the Bible on her own. She admitted that she didn't mind learning and studying its contents quietly by herself, but that the Christian book was not easy to understand. The pastor suggested an introduction to those who might provide some help in her studies. We followed Lois and our field minister as they traveled to meet the other refugee women in our network for the first time. The drive through the country took several hours. At the beginning of the ride, Lois was excited, animated. 
our staff spoke and understood Korean. It was not often that Lois met Korean speakers other than the pastor. Though uh, she and other refugees have often admitted uh, the, the dialect our South Korean missionaries use is not the same as that of the North Korean people. But despite the difference of dialect, Lois was eager to share her life story about how she had encountered our ministry, how she had arrived in China, the harrowing story of her life after having escaped out of North Korea, not once, but twice. When Lois was a child, her father had been a university professor. Because of his elevated status as an educator in a Pyongyang institution, their family enjoyed relative affluence. But this changed swiftly when Lois's father began an affair with another woman and passed away when Lois was 19. Writing his family out of his will, Lois, her mother and sister, fell from their place in society and began a difficult life in poverty in the capital city. Lois told us that she worked hard, that it was her responsibility to support her mother and younger sister, that she began to work in the black market in smuggling goods that arrived from China. Twice she was caught, and the goods she sold were confiscated. But Lois worked diligently for the next four years for their family to survive. She soon realized that there was a simple problem. Uh, she could not make enough money. There was never enough. So Lois did what many of the women in our network of North Korean refugees did in times of desperation. She, she took the leap of faith and crossed the border between North Korea and China. Trusting a local contact, she entered China to make the money that her family needed to survive and to live. A few weeks of work in China would, would be enough. But Lois's leap of faith was not into the waiting arms of someone or something that would reward her belief. Her leap was one that over 100,000 desperate, fearful North Korean refugees have taken. It's a leap that has, instead of promising deliverance, hurled many into an abyss of lies bondage, and suffering. Once Lois crossed the border into China, her acquaintance sold her to the highest bidder, a man that Lois has only described as her first husband with a harsh family. Without realizing it, Lois had turned her life over into the hands of a man she did not know in a country that was not her own. Lois was 23 years old when she crossed the border. Today she's 46. This is chapter 3 now, betrayal. Lois was not used to long journeys in an automobile. She grew carsick on the way to meet the other refugee women. She was far from home in a local city where she worked in a restaurant. Our missionaries who sat with her in the pastor's car watched as buildings quickly faded into the distance, replaced by large, dry fields of grass and, and rice paddies. Uh, Lois asked to stop the car. 
was given some medicine and water and crouched by the dirt road to breathe. Lois had lived in this region for only a few years before she decided to leave her first husband. Having no option to return to North Korea, she quickly remarried with her current husband, who she has described as a good man. Lois stayed with her second husband for the next five years. They had a daughter in their first year together, a second four years later. It was the year after her second child was born that Lois met another North Korean refugee woman. The woman Lois met was in a situation that Lois herself could sympathize with. She had recently left her previous husband. She was looking for a man and a family that would be able to provide for her the security and provision that Lois' second husband had brought into her life. So Lois stepped in to help and took a second leap of faith on foreign soil and arranged for the refugee woman to meet a Chinese man, a neighbor who lived a stable life in the country. But when the North Korean refugee woman that Lois thought she had helped ran away only 12 days after her marriage, the results of Lois's matchmaking swiftly turned sour. According to Lois, at some point following her departure, the refugee woman may have divulged the fact that, that Lois was also a North Korean refugee in hiding. The police came. Lois was dragged away from her family. Lois did not stay in China for long following her arrest. She was exchanged from authority to authority until she found herself before a North Korean court back in her home country. They beat her. They interrogated her. Lois was asked whether she had lived with or had relations with any foreign men in her time in China. Lois lied. For the North Korean people, she explained, to marry a foreigner, to have children with a foreigner, that was a cardinal sin. Even as Lois was forcefully examined at a hospital, Lois held to her lie. When the North Korean authorities confirmed that she had indeed had children across the border and accused her of treachery, Lois still refused to admit the truth. To admit the truth was a grave danger. So Lois was beaten again and again, interrogated about her life again and again. Lois told us that the three days she spent in interrogation were the most torturous three days of her life since being born, that she was beaten so badly her teeth rattled loose. She was told she had a sinful body that she should not live. Lois was sentenced to five years in a North Korean labor camp for each of the years that she had spent as a traitor fleeing from her country. It was one of the largest of 13 major labor camps in North Korea. As sure as a death sentence. They didn't give us names, said Lois, describing the cold, calculated world of the North Korean labor camp. They gave us numbers. However, Lois was not the only one sentenced to punishment for her crimes. Lois's family, her mother and sister, had been exiled from the capital following her escape into China. 
The two of them lived in great poverty, but with the resources and connections they were able to gather by selling their home, Lois's mother and sister were able to reduce Lois's sentence of five years to three. Bribery is still powerful in North Korea, according to Lois. Money can solve anything, Lois told us, describing North Korea's justice system. Even if I killed a person, if I gave money, the problem could go away immediately, depending on how much I could pay. But Lois's family did not have enough to save her, only to reduce her sentence. And so Lois's graphic and painful description of her time in the North Korean prison camp can be summarized simply, I learned all there was to suffer in life. Fifty people died every day in the labor camp, Lois shared. Many died from starvation and sickness. Some committed suicide without hope for escape. For two months, Lois said, a focused lesson of her imprisonment program was hunger. For these two months, the women in her group were only fed 12 rotten kernels of corn in salt water every day. And there were other inmates who had been given 15-year sentences for selling other North Koreans across the border. Receiving a 15-year sentence in a labor camp is the same thing as being told to go and die. She said, how could you live starving for 15 years? Lois's description of winter was vivid and horrifying. Dying, sickly women begged for mercy and were savagely beaten. Starving groups were put to work cutting massive trees, dragging them across snowy fields. Camp wardens took the dead and pressed their foot against their stomachs, folded them, tied them with ropes, and laid them out. Many bodies were burned. Others who had not served their full sentence while living were pummeled with stones by prisoners to display the way in which a sinner must die. On the 100th birthday of North Korea's deceased founder, Kim Il-sung, Lois, with the help of her mother and sister, was granted a pardon. In 2012, Lois left the North Korean labor camp after having served a sentence of 19 months. But Lois's eyes had been opened to a new perspective of her homeland. Lois had seen how the North Korean government saw its people. It was a deep and irrecoverable betrayal. After suffering, feeling and experiencing this reality, I decided I could not stay in that rotten world, she said. Lois could not bear to live in a nation that she realized had no care or love for, for her, a country that had treated her with such piercing cruelty and painful revulsion. Lois said goodbye to her mother and her sister and crossed into China once more. Chapter 4, Community Lois was visibly nervous when our missionaries and pastor arrived at the home of Elizabeth, a North Korean refugee woman who had been in Crossing Borders Network for the past three years. Five women had already arrived to sing, read the Bible, and pray together. In the past two years, the five women had become friends who shared each Sunday together. Lois was cautious 
followed behind our staff as they uh, ducked into the small entrance of the rural home. What occurred in the next hour was a gentle and beautiful transformation. The women were warm and kind toward their new guests and engaged them in, a, in polite questions in conversation. A few of them, especially Elizabeth, walked in and out of the room they had prepared for the meeting, serving food and drinks. The other women coaxed and encouraged Lois to help bring plates and set the table. In the following minutes, our staff could hear Lois chatting with the others from an adjacent kitchen. When the meal was prepared, our missionaries noted that the food was not Chinese, but dishes made to suit the North Korean palate. As wives, our North Korean refugees often share about feeling the pressure to prepare Chinese dishes for their families and husbands. Well, here, together, they could make any food they wanted. Our pastor once took a trip to buy taffy sweet blocks of Korean yolt that the, the woman had not tasted since they had left their homes in North Korea. When the candy arrived, the women were ecstatic. As our field staff waited for worship in the meeting room, the women continued to talk with one another. <clears throat> they ate, they cleaned, they shared, they laughed. A couple of them took out their smartphones, took pictures of one another, giggling as they did so. And quietly, jokingly, exasperatedly, loudly, softly, the women exchanged their thoughts, their frustrations, their joys, their lives. Lois looked more at peace than she had for the entire car ride there. By evening, her new friends had convinced Lois to stay over and rest until the following day. Epilogue. Our staff met Lois again the following summer. By then, she had found her community. It was a family away from home. All of them shared different but familiar experiences both the joyful and the painful. For the time being, Lois cannot return to North Korea, her home. She's still a refugee, still pursued by a government on foreign soil. Lois and an estimated 200,000 North Korean people still live in hiding in China. 70% of them are women, and 80% of these North Korean women are trapped in a cycle of human trafficking. I cannot close my eyes and forget my experience, Lois has shared, following her testimony. For Lois and the 16 other North Korean refugees in the small motel room in rural China, the memories they share of labor camps, death, famine, and betrayal did not disappear overnight. But finding one another and realizing the power of a community knit together by renewed hope in healing they praised God until buildings reverberated with their worship. Together, they continue to pray that the burdens that have been placed upon their aching shoulders like a great and heavy stone would one day be rolled away and that hope would emerge triumphant. I want to stand in front of my North Korean countrymen and tell them this, uh, said Lois, uh, reflecting on the truth of the injustice and pain she endured. I want to read my Bible and study it and go to the highest building in North Korea and declare it to all 
the people. May uh, may she have her wish. Don't you agree? What a wonderful and yet horrible story. Is that enough for you to, to pray for North Korea today? To pray for us. We will be shaken from our lethargy and our comfort zones and our and our lukewarmness to get busy about our father's business amen amen this is the hackberry house of chosen lord willing we will talk soon bye bye